You're listening to The Report Card. The Report Card podcast is a commentary show about contemporary American politics and international affairs with your hosts, Scott Dorkin and myself, Grant Stern, where we grade what we're seeing in the news each week and take your questions, too. You're listening to The Report Card, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. And I'm Scott Dworkin. How about that uh, starting music there, brother? I like it. Yeah, great job there, Scott. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just work here. I just work here. No, it's uh, how, how have you been, brother? It's been a rough week so far, I think, for everybody. Uh, it's been a pretty brutal week, honestly. Um, I'm okay, but it's uh, just really not a normal week. But it is a normal week, and that's what's so awful about it. Um, yeah. Maybe too normal. I mean, right. what can you say? You know, uh, this is something that hasn't happened uh, quite so horribly in a little while. But, I mean, Texas leads the country in big mass murders right now. Um, here we are uh, just in a span of a few weeks. We have two 18-year-olds uh, essentially dueling to see who can commit the most spectacular mass murder on opposite ends of the country and uh doing it with these big uh rifle style firearms it's um it's really bad it's really bad yeah it's uh two adults killed and 19 children uh yesterday and uh when i got the news i actually didn't believe it i i didn't i don't know why i thought it was a joke or whatnot or like it couldn't be right oh another school shooting i i immediately thought high school you know, and I'm somehow that's not as bad to some people. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's pit in the stomach. It sank. And I was just like, OK. And then uh, I was told the number of kids and then it started going up from 14 to 16 to 18 and 19 now. And it's just well, it's just gross. It's just gross to hear and see, you know. Yeah. And um, I mean, this is unusual I, when it first happened, actually. Uh, there was a report that it was 14 uh, children. And then actually there was another one that contradicted it and said uh, that it was two dead and 14 injured. And, you know, uh, with the swarm, and I do mean swarm of fact checkers that have no Trump lies left to fact check, like everybody has to be so cautious in the media space at all to avoid having a negative fact check by a major organization if you were somehow wrong during breaking news events with a tweet and right. it happens. Um, so everybody's, you know, uh, just being very cautious and, um, you know, trying to avoid having a, a negative fact check because of some very fast moving events. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden when the, the official confirmation came out, it was just, it was just devastating, you know? Um, I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, it was just shocking. Like, I mean, really? And that wasn't even as bad as it was. Um, you know, we're talking like 19 children. I mean, they're asking the parents for DNA because it's tough to identify fourth graders hit with these war weapons. I mean... And and then to top it all off, all the lies that have been shed all over the internet about the shooter, uh, before anybody really knew what was going on, 
the liars stepped in to make up some really crazy stories. So, guys, I mean, that's what we're talking about tonight, if it's not obvious enough already. And there's so much in the news, and we, we will get to other things um, at the end of the show. We want to take your questions, too. Um, I see that Karen's on the line, and we're also waiting for uh, Rep. McCarcel Powell to join the the room. Um, she is out there. She, she, she followed me back and stuff, and we're going to have – uh, Rep. McCarcel Powell in here as well. She works with Giffords, and um, she's just an amazing, amazing advocate. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, we also have Dr. Joseph Sacrin. How could I forget? Uh, Dr. Sacrin is the head of, of trauma at Johns Hopkins and a very busy man. Uh, he's, he's an amazing surgeon, and he himself is a trauma victim. Uh, he was a gunshot victim as a teenager. It's one of the things that inspired him to get into medicine. And I mean, Scott, what, what can you say when something like this happens and we still have a, a political party that gives all the strangest, saddest lip service, doesn't do anything. Doesn't no, do I mean, anything it's the same thing that we always, always have. It's just uh, devastating. You know, it's a, uh, I think we'll look back on this in, in another generation. Our grandkids will look at us, um, like monsters, the Republican Party, that is. And it's, uh, you know, wondering why they didn't do anything to stop it, why they, they shrugged their shoulders, why they gave the thoughts and prayers, and it just was just was nonsense. Um, so, you know, we also have, obviously, Karen Knapp, a volunteer with Texas Moms uh, Demand Action in uh, Houston, uh, joining us tonight. And I, I'm wondering what her take is on everything since she's obviously based in Texas and has done a yeah. lot of advocacy for gun reform there. Um, I, I just invited Karen onto the stage and we're going to take her call. Go ahead, Karen, uh, unmute yourself. What, what's your take on this? How far away from, from uh, Rob elementary uh, do you live in Texas? Um, good evening. Thank you so much for inviting moms demand action to be on your program this evening. Um, I live in Houston. That's probably about 280, maybe 300 miles from Uvalde. Uvalde is a lovely small town in sort of on the edge of the hill country in Texas. It's close to one of the most beloved um, vacation spots in Texas, which is the Frio River. There are a lot, it's kind of an agricultural community. There's a lot of people who go out there to hunt. And um, so it's, you know, um, it's, I don't, I don't even know how to really describe how it feels right now. Um, you know, our governor said yesterday, this is incomprehensible and he's completely wrong. It's completely comprehensible in the state of Texas. It's, predictable we've just been waiting so and now it's happened what what made you uh first get started in volunteering with moms of man action was it was something that, that provoked it well i started becoming aware of things that were going on in the texas legislature when they were looking at um concealed carry laws and uh, and campus carry so those two things I had never paid much attention to gun laws at all. Um, but those two things, somehow they got my attention and I knew that I didn't want them. And around the same time that I started 
hearing that on the news, I started seeing things on Facebook from Moms Demand Action. And I just, I texted READY to 64433 and I got in the database and I started going to events and activities. And here I am. Did you happen to see what uh, Beto O'Rourke did today, interrupting the news conference or the press conference that uh, Greg Abbott was holding? What, what are your thoughts on that, if you if you saw it? I'm a huge Beto fan. I have been since, really, since 2017, when he first started, you know, campaigning. Um, I have not seen the whole thing because I was, I've been busy with um, sort of mom's media activities today and also... I have a job. It's been really hard to do my job the last few days. Um, but I did see some things on Twitter. And of course, I'm so proud of him. I'm so happy that he did that, that he, you know, someone has got to stand up to those people. Um, they, you know, because they have been in power for over a generation in Texas they really don't listen to anyone. They do what they what they will. And I'm just very happy that Beto stood up to them. Yeah, no, it was it was fascinating to see. I, I really, you know, we need guts. We need people, politicians with guts mm-hmm. to stick and stand up against mm-hmm. NRA and the gun lobby. And, you know, that's I, I, if we read the headlines everywhere, it's about Beto interrupting the news conference, not some blasé thoughts and prayers news conference. And so I appreciate how the shift uh, in news happened. Great. I'm glad. Go Beto. Yeah, it's been it's been helpful. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think um, that it, it was I, I just want to throw in there. I think that it was uh, it, it, it was a moment um, for Beto to just confront uh, Abbott right there face to face. And, and I think that it's something that we need more of in, in our politics, people actually connecting in person, especially in the wake of the pandemic, um, where well, it's safe I, to do so. This morning I called John Cornyn's office because he has, you know, he has been involved in some gun safety legislation kind of on the edges of things, but at least he is sometimes reasonable. And what I asked him, actually I implored was for him to have a good faith conversation with Chris Murphy. Um, they've had them in the past and it's time for people to just have good faith conversations. I, I, you know, I'm tired of the stonewalling from people like Ted Cruz who, you know, and that's why I called John Cornyn. I wouldn't, you know, presume to think, Ted Cruz would ever do anything reasonable, have a good faith conversation about gun laws. But um, I'm hoping that the message will get to Senator Cornyn and that he will sit down with Senator Murphy. Great. And well, how, how, how can people support Moms Demand Action? You can text ACT to 64433 and you will get prompts that, you know, It'll, they'll ask you for your, um, m- most importantly, your zip code. And that allows moms to then connect you with activities in a, in a zip code area. Um, that's really the best way right now. Um, you can also go to momsdemandaction.org and go to the events tab and type in your zip code. And it will show you the events that are coming up um, in the next few weeks. 
So if there's anything happening in your area, it'll come right up and you can join in. And any parting way, uh, words in regards to everything, maybe, um, you know, just people that, that are seeing this and the trauma, you know, how do you think, how can they help? What can they do? You know, they, they, is there any kind of words of support you could give people that are seeing this uh, disgusting mess right now? Well, I, you know, it is very disheartening the fact that nothing has changed since Sandy Hook. I mean, some things have changed. In various states, they've had a lot of luck fighting bad gun laws. They've passed some good gun laws in states. But it can be very disheartening. But a friend of mine points out that the NRA has been chipping away and destroying, you know, chipping away at gun laws and destroying our public safety for 30 years. And we've really only made this very concerted effort to fight them for 10 years. So they have a big head start on us. And um, eventually we will begin to make more progress. And so we can't give up. We can't be numb when 19 children and their two teachers are shot dead. We have, we have to keep going. Karen Knapp, thank you for taking the time for uh, with us this evening, and uh, th- thanks for all you do. Thank, thank you, you so Karen. much for inviting me. Have a good evening. You too. You too. Yeah, I mean, I I think that that Karen makes a really great point um, that we should all listen to, which is uh, to take the the longer view uh, when it comes to the timescale of your activism, because things do not happen as fast as we would like. And in life, timing is everything. If you could predict the timing of everything, then you would be like all powerful. And <laughs> most people are very bad at predicting the timing of things. But if you really dedicate yourself and commit yourself to doing something and you understand that it's going to be a longer timetable, then you're not disappointed when you have a setback. You know that something's going to take a long time. In my personal life um, with my activism, uh, the biggest thing I ever did was an eight-year journey. Um, Eight years is a long time, but, yeah. you know, I think it's about being prepared for that longer journey. Um, you know, that's, that's what it takes to be able to stomach the short-term pitfalls uh, of what happens. Uh, what about you, Scott? What do you think it's, about it, the, the difficulties of being an activist in the space? I mean, it, you know, when, when we first really started six years ago to take on the NRA, um, you know, meeting people like, uh, Fred Gutenberg and Joe Sackern and um, Shannon from Moms Demand Action. Uh, the s- stories are around, you know, them. It, it, it's horrific, um, the things that they've had to deal with and also confront. And just in, in my my little world of taking on the NRA, it's been, um, you know, threats, you know, and, and you just have to, one of the things that uh, you can't take over is fear and you have to just plow through it. And I mean, from the NRA, you know, obviously I had, I was one of the most threatened people probably in the country, 2017, 2018, not as much in 19, but um, when I was, it was, I don't know why, but it did not affect me in the way it made me work harder. And so it was like fuel to my fire um, but the most serious ones were people who who were affiliated with the NRA, and they were people who were explicit. They were uh, about like 
I'm going to come to your house at this address and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to you, you know, and it's not pretty. Uh, none of that was pretty, but, um, you know, it's about powering through it and, and it, it sucks, uh, on the journey, but I don't looking back, I'm not sure if I still would have done it the same way, but I didn't, it didn't phase me at the time. And I think that's what we need is we need people who can stand up and don't shy away when, you know, shit hits the fan and people go after you because they will. Remember, they have money. They'll dig on you. You know, they'll try and hurt you in every angle possible. And you just can't let it let it hurt you. You know, you can't you can't let it stop you. So everybody, we've got uh, two more guests that are up on the stage. And I want to start with Dr. Sacron because uh, he got here first and we're first come first serve on this podcast. Um, Dr. Sacron, thank you so much for joining us tonight on the show. Oh, th- thanks so much, uh, Grant and Scott. And, uh, it's great, uh, to be here with you all. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I think that, that what, uh, what Karen talked about is a great setup for discussing things with you because you got to spend what, like a year in the Senate or was it more the, the fellowship that you had? Yeah, that's uh, correct. I spent I spent a year uh, in, in the Senate under um, Senator Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire, right before actually COVID started and and then extended out through uh, September, the end of August, twenty twenty. Yeah, what what a fortuitous time to be a healthcare advisor uh, in the Senate. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean. mean- in the same way, it's lucky we're here today. It's like, man, when bad things happen, Joe is there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing, but look, I'm, I'm, all, <laughs> I'm always look. I'm always, um, you know, uh, trying uh, to use my own uh, personal kind of narrative and story to try to figure out how to impact the lives of other people. And honestly, you know, if you had asked me, you know, 20 years ago, would I ever even imagine? you know, working in the policy space, the answer is flat out no. But I think, you know, and and Grant and Scott, and I'm sure many others on this call can appreciate the fact that, you know, the more you learn as you go through this professional career, the more you realize how so many of the things that we do are intermingled. And that's really what got me working at this kind of intersection of, of medicine, public health and public policy. So, I mean, tell our listeners a little bit about your personal story and, and what led you to become a doctor and then to get involved in uh, gun reform activism. Yeah, so I um, was born right outside our nation's capital. I'm the son of immigrants. And, you know, I was born to parents that came to this country, honestly, with very little. And they realized early on how important education was, and they did everything in their power to really kind of push us and get us um, the best possible education. And I would say I had a relatively normal childhood up until the age of 17 when uh, on one autumn night, I went from being this healthy high school senior uh, to collateral damage after I was nearly killed when I was shot in the throat with a 38 caliber bullet. And, you know, I don't know how many of our listeners were at the age of 17, but I would venture to say that most of us have no idea uh, that we're mortal. We probably have no idea what we want to do in our lives. And we're really kind of living day in and day out. And that was pretty much who I was at the time. 
but when that happened, uh, it really just changed the entire trajectory of my life because it made me realize that I had the second chance. I had this opportunity, right, to perhaps just maybe be able to give the same second chance to people in a similar situation. And Grant, that's what, you know, inspired me to go into medicine to become a trauma surgeon. And I will tell you that I never imagined doing the stuff that I'm doing today, meaning outside of, you know, beyond the bedside. I just thought, you know, okay, once I am able to give other people the same second chance, I've reached, you know, the top. But the reality is, is that I quickly came to see that the best medical treatment is prevention before they reach the trauma center or the operating room. Yeah, that's a huge point. And, you know, it's so ironic because down here in Florida, uh, where I'm located, we have a governor who uh, holds entire press conferences that say early prevention saves lives. Um, But then they don't want to do it. Even that same governor down here in Florida uh, doesn't want people to be vaccinated. He just wanted people to take uh, a monoclonal antibody to treat the symptoms of COVID. Uh, why, why is there this macabre fascination with, you know, funding anything we can to fix the the victims of gunshots, but never ever doing anything about the supply of people firing weapons and causing death and mayhem all over? Um, and yeah. Why, why is it? In your opinion, you spent a year in the Senate, so yeah, you I mean, to see some of these folks up close and personal. Listen, like, l- let me just be clear. I, and I, and I want to say this, and this may surprise people, but I can tell you that, like, actually, as you know, I guess I could consider myself a staffer, right? I think that, you know, on the ground, people in general, right, both Democrats and Republicans would come in every day because they really want to make this country a better place. Now, of course, that never gets seen when you look beyond, you know, simply, you know, what politicians are saying, you know, whether it's on social media or through their interviews. I think the difference, Grant, is that even though there's a lot of commonality when it comes to kind of the end result, I don't think anyone wants to see children slaughtered in elementary schools. I think the difference comes from an ideological perspective. And frankly, you know, the the right um, has pushed this conversation down these partisan lines where they've moved away from really talking about responsible gun ownership and made this about trying to take away guns or trying to, you know, infringe on constitutional rights. And that's a bunch of hogwash. Okay. You know, we have the right to live. We have the right to ensure that our children are safe, right? We have the right to be able to go to a concert, to go to a synagogue, to be able to shop at a supermarket without worrying about the fact that we're going to be shot and killed. And I'm just so angry, as you can probably tell, that we keep watching this movie play over and over. It's like a bad version of Groundhog Day. And the lack of inaction by our elected officials is absolutely unacceptable. I just can't accept that. So, I mean, when when you were talking with people that were staffing Republicans or perhaps, you know, if you did get the chance to talk to any of the Republican senators, did anybody say candidly, confidentially, or, you know, just in a 
not very public setting. Like, hey, we we know that this needs to be fixed. We're just not going to do it for the wrong reasons. Or, did anybody really like kind of spill the beans on all of this? Yeah. So so here's what I'll tell you, and I just want to put this in context. Literally sure. two weeks before I started, uh, COVID happened. So you can imagine the way you know my experience in the Senate started became very different because the entire focus was then you know, on COVID and as someone who's a public health professional, that's where most of my energy was. Um, I did have some, you know, you know, off, you know, you know, the record, so to speak, conversations. And I think people do realize that we can and should be doing more. Yet, you know, I think the impetus for not doing more is, is due to a variety of reasons. And I'll tell you, I heard Karen mention this a little bit. You know, we talk about you know, the gun lobby, right? And we talk about the need for campaign reform. I mean, look at the amount of dollars that are flowing, you know, to these politicians that, of course, sways the way they're thinking. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about this, and and I think, you know, Grant, this is just, we can't leave this conversation without highlighting this. We're talking about this today because, you know, we've seen, you know, yet again, another mass shooting and kids being slaughtered. The mass shootings that we see in America are a small portion of the overall public health problem, less than 2%, believe it or not. And every day in cities like Baltimore and Chicago and Philadelphia, we have young brown and black men that are being killed on our streets. And we have a responsibility to tell those stories as well. Oh, yes, absolutely we do. And, and I mean, these mass casualty events do grab a lot more headlines than the day-to-day shootings uh, but greater than all of that is also suicide by gun right i mean gun suicides are just an epidemic in our correct country. that's about two-thirds of gun deaths and that's why and you know people say well you know suicide is not gun violence actually it is it's a violent act against oneself and you know th- this is one of the reasons that this problem, right, you know, people always ask me, they're like, well, what's the one thing, Joe, that we can do? Well, there is no one thing, right? That's why it's a complex public health problem. It requires a multifaceted approach that cuts across sectors. And it requires, you know, engagement at the local and state level, at the federal level, private public partnerships, healthcare systems, all of us. We all have to come together to make this happen and get it done. And, you know, I think Karen mentioned this a little bit, and I'll just add that yeah, of course, it's been frustrating not to see stuff happen at the federal level. And we need to see that happen because we live in a country that our states are porous. Right. And so unless that happens, we're not going to see the real type of change we need. But let's not mistake the fact that our country is different than where we were 10 years ago. And in fact, in states all across America, We have passed common sense gun legislation, hundreds of pieces, and most governing, in fact, happens at the local and state level. So, yes, it's not enough. We need to see it happen at the federal level. But the temperature of our country has changed. Unfortunately, as as you said, or maybe it was Scott, it's not changing fast enough. That is uh, uh, that's very, very true. I mean, I think the greatest example that everybody gives of how the porous state boundaries lead to these problems is uh, Indiana versus Illinois. Uh, You know, Chicago has very strict gun laws, but all the gun violence, why? Because you can go very easily over the state border and get whatever you want, and there's nothing to stop you from bringing it back. 
Yeah, exactly. And the trafficking of the firearms contributes to the multitude of, of guns on our streets and is part of the ongoing problem. And I'll just mention, in addition to your example, right, we, we talk about, you know, this iron pipeline right along the I-95 corridor, which continue to supply illegal guns that get trafficked from states with looser gun laws to states with stricter gun laws. And, you know, despite, of course, the attempt of law enforcement seizing thousands of guns off the streets, there have been no dis- discernible impact on the easy access of guns, not to mention the fact that, you know, the ATF has been grossly underfunded and staffed to meet the demands of, I think, what, the 90, you know, nearly 90,000 active federal firearm license holders. So we got to do better. Yeah, we absolutely do. Guys, if you want to call in and ask a question to any of us, this is a good chance to do it. Uh, You just mash that little button in the bottom right of your screen there. You call in, and we'll take your questions. And and then we're going to move on to to Rep. McCarcel Powell, who's been waiting patiently on the stage there. So, Amanda, uh, you're on the report card. So how do we get people to go from hashtag to action? That's a great question. Um, you know, Grant, do you want to take that? I mean, one of the things is making sure that, you know, you, you, you want to spread the word. So that's one of the ways that we can spread the word is via hashtags, right? And that can be part of a campaign right now. Um, the assault weapons ban is something that we're pushing. So, uh, ban assault weapons now is the hashtag that we're, that's trending. Uh, with that, we have a coordinated campaign where we sent over 5,000 letters to Congress um, directly to their office. And what's important about that is they have to file that away. They have, to, they have to take each and every one individually, and they have to look at it, and they have to m- memo it, and it's got to be uh, filed away and organized. Um, so they have to actually see those. Um, so that's important contact. Also calling members of Congress because they log all the calls. Um, that's also important. It's hard to get people assembled in person, especially with COVID still around. Um, so, you know, getting in-person action is is tough nowadays. At the same time, what is it that we can do really with in-person action? I think a, a key, and Doc, maybe you have a thought on this, um, but getting people elected at the local and state level and federal level that actually vocally uh, are, are are able to take on uh, the task of gun reform, like that are not afraid of it, you know, and aren't bought off by any of the gun lobby. What do you think, Doc? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, we kind of a little bit touched on this, but I think that's absolutely correct. Is that you know when you think about, and Karen talked about this a little bit, and I missed the beginning part of her her interview, but think about why we've seen the type of action that we've seen in cities and states across America. It's because, you know, we have had the moms and, you know, the, the folks throughout the gun violence prevention movement that have come out to, to state houses, to PT, PTA meetings, to all of these different venues and have had the moral courage to speak up and to be part of the solution. And I, again, I think sometimes it's, I, I don't, I, I think Amanda's question is spot on because it's so, you know, disheartening to continue to, you know, talk about this on social media to get angry. I mean, think about what happened. 11 days ago, Buffalo, right, happened, and people started forgetting about it, only to be reminded after yesterday's incident. And I I just think that we have to keep the added pressure on. 
That's how we change it. And we've seen the country change. Think about the fact that we had a presidential election where part of the central, you know, policy and platform was gun violence prevention. If you look back historically, I mean, that never used to be the case. So again, we're not changing fast enough, but I think all of us need to be part of the solution, whether it's healthcare professionals or researchers or policymakers or anything, right? We're all part of this, the fabric of this society. Well, Dr. Sakran, I mean, we really appreciate you joining us on the show tonight and bringing your insight uh, both from the hospital and from the halls of Congress. I don't think there are a lot of people that have such a unique experience and, of course, as a patient as well. Well, it's, it's honestly my honor and excited uh, to see the Congresswoman uh, uh, in the queue. So thank you so much. And stick around. I mean, we're going to take more call-ins and more questions. Uh, but I'd like to welcome Rep. Debbie McCarcel powell to the stage and, and thank her for joining us tonight. She's uh, part of Giffords, uh, which is the, the, the group that is working vigorously to turn your hashtags into real-life mm-hmm. actions. Uh, Rep. McCarcel powell thank you so much for joining us tonight. No, thank you, Scott and Grant, for organizing this Um I'm I'm sure that the listeners that are participating tonight, just like myself and thousands of us that have been working on this issue, feel exhausted, frustrated, uh, defeated. And so it's really important to come together and have these conversations to turn those hashtags into action. And Congresswoman, what first got you into uh, the fight against gun violence? Yeah, Scott, so this is a very personal issue for me. I lost my father to gun violence when I was 24 years old. And um, I remember vividly, especially when we see these tragic shootings, I remember getting that call from my sister and the feeling of dread uh, when she told me that my father had been killed by a criminal with a gun. And your life changes radically. You are never the same person after that. and you live with that trauma. And I've been working on gun violence prevention for many years now. And it was one of the reasons why I ran <clears throat> for Congress here in the state of Florida. I ran in uh, 2018. I was elected. And if you remember that February 14th is when we had a similar shooting at, in Parkland and we lost uh, 17 uh, children that day. And I remember going a week after the shooting to meet with the families and the other kids that had been at the school when the shooter was there. And and I have to tell you um, that pain, especially if you're a parent and you can relate to that pain, that dread, that nightmare of losing your child in that way. And so um, people mobilized in Florida in 2018 and, and they helped get me elected. And I served in the Judiciary Committee working on gun violence reform. And because of my election and so many others that year, people really mobilized and supported gun safety candidates. We were able to pass the first piece of legislation, which was the Universal Background Check Bill that went through my committee, through the House, but it got stuck in the Senate. So the House has done the same thing. Once again, they passed the same bill and it's stuck in the Senate. And at this point, we really need to make sure that we act. I mean, we can't keep asking voters to show up at the ballot box, elect gun safety champions, get a Democratic House, get a 50-50 Senate. We have a Democrat in the White House. We have to pass these bills. 
um, there are no more excuses at this point. So, uh, Rep. McCarcel Powell, uh, I'm going to play a video of Florida Senator Marco Rubio's remarks to CNN uh, earlier tonight. Um, they they asked him, why not ban AR-15s? And and here's his here's his remarks. But why not just expand the background tracks to more commercial sales? Even if it doesn't prevent every tragedy, it could surely present, well, prevent every, some. Right? No, every commercial sale requires a background check. Gun, say, uh, gun shows and there Internet. Has, there hasn't been a single of these mass shootings that have been purchased at a gun show or at the, on the Internet. So if people want to do that, we can have that debate, but don't link it to these horrible events because they would have nothing to do with it. What about getting rid of AR-15s? Why are these semi-automatic rifles well, necessary? If people want to talk about banning specific guns, they should propose that, but it wouldn't prevent these shootings. Do you do you agree with Marco Rubio on this, that getting rid of these AR-15s and AR-15-style guns would not get rid of some of these shootings? No, absolutely not. And let, let me just say, uh, Marco Rubio, like Rick Scott, like Ron DeSantis, like uh, Governor Abbott, like Ted Cruz, they are bought and paid for by the NRA. Marco Rubio has received more than $3 million from the NRA. Politicians in Washington, D.C. receive tens of thousands of dollars from the NRA. They are repeating the misinformation that the NRA spreads. He, Mar, What does Marco Rubio know about which guns were purchased where in every shooting in America? This man is a fraud. And, and I'm telling you this because when I was in Congress, Grant, I... Uh, I wanted to work in a bipartisan fashion. You have to try and do that, right? I mean, you owe it to your Well, to get something done, yeah. 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 Congress is very gridlocked. And and Marco Rubio refused to even meet with me to discuss any issues. Uh, the same for Republicans in Florida, like um, Mario Diaz-Balart or Greg Stubbe. They, are, they have become so radicalized and they owe their seats to the NRA, because they've been funding their political campaign. So, of course, Marco Rubio is saying that. Um, but I can tell you, we I have been working now with Giffords for over a year. We I have asked Giffords to help me get organized in the state of Florida. And we have done a lot of work here. We've done a lot of polling for and spoken to voters that are Republicans, independents, uh, Democrats, and more than 85% of Floridians here in the state of Florida want uh, elected officials that are going to work and pass legislation that are going to provide security for their children, gun safety legislation. Um, this is the same for the rest of the United States. We know that close to 90% of Americans, regardless of political affiliation, support a universal background check bill. But then you have the Marcos of the world with their arrogance that they think they do not need to work for the people that elected them. And so we're not we're having a crisis in our government when we have, uh, uh, you know, a bill that's supported by 90 percent of the United States. And yet it doesn't pass. It doesn't even get a vote on the floor. So we have to really take a good look of what we need to do here to ensure that we protect our democracy as a representative democracy, that we protect the institutions that we have so that we can really advance legislation to secure our nation. I mean, this is a public health epidemic. It's an emergency. Um, and it's also a matter of national security. 
And what do you think, Congresswoman, what do you, what do you think that uh, can really be, what, what's the most effective thing a person who's a citizen can do? I think um, making those calls to your representatives are really impactful because when that phone starts ringing off the hook, and, and I remember um, this happened to me when I was in Congress during the impeachment hearings because I was in the Judiciary Committee, you you start paying attention, right? It's not just a few calls. It's like your, your phone is ringing off the hook all day. They start logging the calls and you have your staff tell you how people are feeling about a, a particular issue. And if you're a good elected official, if you're a good representative, if you understand that you're there to serve the people that elected you, you make the right choices. So making those calls to your senators are crucial. I mean, really important. I think we can march, we can get organized, but um, as as minimal as having conversations with other parents at your kids' schools, um, getting them to start paying attention so when they vote in November, they understand that they have to elect the, those candidates that are going to have the political courage to stand up to the gun lobby and that are going to really serve the public that they intend to represent. So, it, I mean, there's nothing like the ground game. There's nothing like getting your community, your block, your school organized and understanding that they have power. Um, apathy is, is a huge problem. People don't want to participate in the political process because they're tired. Uh, but we have to take a moment to rest, to scream, to cry, and then wake up with the resolution of making sure that we protect our children, our communities from this violence. And really, it, it really starts as minimal as having those conversations, but then getting organized on the ground, getting people to come and vote, making sure you're calling your senators and also, you know, calling out those politicians with the contributions that they're receiving. I think uh, corporate America needs to really value who they're supporting here. Right. Um, money in politics is extremely influential. And you have these large companies giving a lot of money to politicians that are doing absolutely nothing except favors to their own companies. I think as as the public starts demanding action and they start highlighting these companies that are supporting these politicians that are that refuse to take action, believe me, that can also make an impact. You know, when as you talk about this, it makes me think about a, a Florida scandal involving a Republican state senator and uh, the fake candidates. And there was another arrest and another fake candidate's uh, uh, run up in Orlando, which uh, it led to the arrest of a, a county uh, GOP chairman. But uh, the state senator at, at question also is very close with uh, FPL, Florida's power company, uh, who's thrown a lot of dark money behind these things. And somebody posted, like, there's a picture of him in the newspaper wearing, like, a uh, like a NASCAR driver kind of, you know, head to toe uh, garment and it had next year energy on it. And I just thought to myself, you know, wouldn't it be great if all of these members of Congress and all of these legislators were forced to wear something like this that says who's paying them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah a sponsor shirt. Right. With yeah. All the well, I can tell yeah. you all the companies, all the companies that, you know, Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, Microsoft, um, uh, all the energy companies, all the electrical companies, law firms. I mean, every company contributes to these campaigns. They, they, they want to contribute because they want access. I was in Congress. 
Um, I would get invited to events. I had um, people that wanted to give me checks because they wanted access. I mean, I remember Amazon would would ha- host events and they would give checks to all the members that showed up to their event. I mean, it, it works that way, guys. And um, until we change the influence in politics, the, the money, how money influences politics, that's not going to change, right? So I remember thinking, okay, I need to raise money. I need to win. I need to be able to beat um, the person that I'm running against. But I was very, very particular of looking at companies that if they were supporting or if they weren't backing certain pieces of legislation, I would not accept those contributions. And so, um, you know, those are the type of questions that you have to ask. Until we pass bills that are going to pass campaign finance reform that are going to limit the influence of money in politics, uh, you have to be strategic. And that's why I think also the power of contributing those small dollars to people that you really believe in, that's important too, so that you, so that we don't have to rely on, on the big money game that happens in Washington, DC. But um, every company that you can think of is writing checks right now to politicians in Washington, DC. And also on top of those corporations, the individuals from those corporations are also donating, right? Is is that a bigger problem, you think, um, the, the, the corporate CEOs and people that can max out to campaigns as an, no. a, at an individual level or not no. as much? No, you know what's a really huge problem uh, are these dark money super PACs that – and that happens here in Florida. There are, there are these PACs that you don't know who's funneling in a million, two million, there are no limits to their contribution and they don't disclose their, disclose their donors. That's actually a bigger problem. I don't have a problem with individuals, even if they work in large companies, if they want to max out, you know, $5,000, um, a max out contribution. I have a problem with, um, billionaires that are hiding behind these super PACs that are giving actually tens of thousands of dollars to really influence a race. That's very problematic. So I want to tell everybody who's listening, first of all, thank you for joining us tonight. Um, it, it's It's been a, a crazy couple of days, and we really appreciate you being here. If you want to call in, this is your chance. Mash that little button at the bottom right corner of your app to call in, and you can ask the congresswoman a question. You can ask us a question because, you know, everybody likes to put us on the spot here. But uh, you can certainly ask the congresswoman a question, and uh, this is your chance to do it. We've got about 10, 12 minutes left in the show. So call in right now if you'd like to chat with us, ask a question, or make a comment. And I see Julie is calling in. So Julie, welcome to the stage. And keep hitting the button. It's okay. We'll cue you guys up. Julie, just unmute yourself. You have a question for the congresswoman? It's a live show. We know these things take time sometimes. you got to hit that little button in the bottom right-hand corner. It looks like a microphone. Unmute it, and you will be live with us. On the report card. Thanks, Jim, for joining us on the show. Yeah, I had to get back to that. Well, first of all, thank you. I got an email about this um, um, show, and then thank you for the guests you have on, and Debbie for um, outlining pretty much what's been going on in the country for a while. I live just north of Washington, D.C. I feel like I've been, um, well, I'll just briefly say this. I'm a public school teacher. I teach in a public high school in Fairfax County, Virginia. I show up at different events in D.C. and do a variety of things. My first experience with gun violence was when I was in high school 
and um, it, I'm 60, and it still bothers me. I had a friend who was killed domestic violence by his father, Terry. His dad showed up, shot the mother. Terry went inside and got a knife in the kitchen to defend her. Went out and the dad shot him and his sister. They hit her in the basement. And as a teacher, we do, all we do is a drill for everything. And I went to school when we practiced for tornadoes. I grew up in the Midwest and all we do is, you know, our usual fire drills or a tornado and and then there's the, the lockdown drills. And the, I, I'm sorry. And it's all right. It's I've all right. tried to ignore, I've tried to ignore, like, not that I don't care, but when there's shootings and I, I couldn't believe Sandy Hook and then, and then Florida happens and I, I showed up in DC for that. And what happened the other day, I just, I just, I saw it and then I just had to shut it out of my mind. And then when I went into school today, I look at those kids are, you know, I teach high school and they're 15, 16, 17, 18. And this is such a normal thing for them now. I mean, they just, I don't even know what goes through their mind. And, and, and we had walkouts a few years ago with kids protesting and it's just, to me, I, I get that we have to, to address the gun issues, but because people in power aren't doing it, my thought is, and Debbie, to you or anybody else that wants to comment on this, the, my belief is, and has been for a while, the first thing we need to do is secure schools, but most importantly, we need to secure the buildings of elementary schools by making sure that doors and windows and access points are sealed. And if anyone wants to walk in with assault weapons, and it's always somebody that is part of that school system that they have a hell of a hard time trying to get in. That's at least to me, seems like the first thing we could do is spend money on making sure that people cannot access children. We lock down banks and everything else and we make them safe. We make a lot of places safe in society. I just don't understand how our school buildings for elementary kids are still so open. At least let's push that while we're pushing gun stuff. Because at this point, I, I, I'm fed up and I'm going to start talking to people that I need to. And I follow groups to start really pushing it and pushing a lot of things where I work and just anywhere in general and getting teachers involved because this is fucking ridiculous. And thank you for listening to my rant. Now, Julie, no, thank you, Julie. Yeah. Thank you so much for, first of all, for all the work that you've been doing for so long as a teacher, I, I really, as a mom of school age kids, uh, teachers are the true heroes here. I mean, with, with what's, what we've been living in America through a pandemic and then these school shootings. So thank you so much for that and for your words and, and sharing 
your story. It's so important and impactful. Um, please continue to do that. I think that we we have to do it all. We have to invest in the buildings where our kids are getting edu- their education. Um, we've had a lot of conversations in Florida, just to give you an example on how we build safe schools that are going to be uh, strong enough to withstand storms. So we've had those conversations. So absolutely, I do think that we need to look into ways that we can secure the buildings, the classrooms, the doors uh, for to prevent these mass shootings. I actually was taking a walk this morning, early this morning with my dogs, and there's an elementary school close by. And you're absolutely right, Julie. I mean, these kids were out in the playground and it's so easy to access the playground and just get in there and cause harm. It's, it's very, very scary. And we do need to have those conversations. But the problem, the main problem that I want to remind everyone is that the problems that we have in America, other countries have as well. When people talk about mental health, when people talk about, you know, these people that are criminals that want to cause harm, that, that happens everywhere. The, the difference in America is that they have easy access to weapons. They can walk into a gun show and buy a firearm without a background check. That Marco Rubio has no idea what he's talking about. You can actually purchase uh, ghost guns from the internet. You purchase different parts you and you build the weapon at home and they have absolutely no trace without a trace, without a registration, and you can have a weapon to cause harm. Um, uh, can we talk about the, the two <laughs> horrific shootings in the last month, Buffalo and Uvalde? Both of them were 18-year-olds who went and purchased these high-powered AR-15 style weapons legally, um, 18 years old, you know, having what? the most powerful weapons of war on the planet. You know, um, Grant, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse had an AR-15. He was 17 years old. His mother drove him um, to Wisconsin when they were having some protests and he killed people with their AR-15. He was exonerated, but not only was he exonerated, by the court, but then he has been glorified by Republican elected officials. He went on a tour. He went and posed with Donald Trump. He, the, the Republican Party has propped him up as a hero. So it's not surprising to me that these young men think it's heroic to buy an AR-15 and go into an, a, a massacre, a, a, a uh, a, a tragic, tragic, violent massacre. So we need to also hold these elected officials accountable. You have r- Congress members posing with their kids with AR-15s, Grant. What is happening? How is that okay? And why? Why are these companies giving money to fund their campaigns? Why are people not uh, doing enough to either have other Republicans that are more moderate in their Republican districts run against them because you know what? It's okay to have two different parties with different opinions, but it's not okay to have a party that has become so radicalized that they spread conspiracy theories and incite violence. So I want to remind everybody, uh, and this is your last chance uh, that you can call in and we can chat right now. You can ask a question, give us a comment. Uh, Just mash that little call button on the right corner of your app We've just got a few more minutes left with uh, Rep. McCarcel Powell. And Julie, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I think your story is very poignant. 
um, because it just shows how far back America's problems with gun violence go and how personally it touches so, so many of us. I mean, everybody has some story, uh, uh, you know, coming into contact with gun violence. And I mean, you know, some of them are, are more horrifying than others. And to have uh, to, to lose a, a friend in high school um, to a parent like that is just especially terrifying. Um, but, you know, domestic violence is always magnified uh, by the use of weapons. And, of course, it's one of the, the few reasons why someone's guns can be taken away. And there's a, a kind of laws called the red flag laws. And I think that, that we could use a lot more of those. They passed those in Florida after uh, Parkland. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I just can't stress enough how uh, there's always signs before one of these uh, terrible shootings. But really before any shooting, uh, there's there's oftentimes a lot of signs. And, and Amanda, I, I wanted to invite Amanda to the 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 stage um, Amanda, you've got uh, one more question. And Julie, thank you so much for coming on tonight. And my heart goes out to you. And thank you for that. That was very passionate. And that really does motivate me to do even more than I did today. So thank you so much for everything you do. Keep keep on going. Thank you so much. Yeah, Debbie, I have a question regarding resources. I think the one thing we haven't touched on is trauma-informed grief. And as we're doing this work of advocacy and change, what resources do we have available for us? Yeah, Amanda, you bring up such a such a critical point. We right now are facing also a crisis of uh, mental health professionals. There's a huge demand and not not a whole lot of resources to support uh, mental health workers, especially in these communities that are left behind with this trauma. Um, there have been. I know that the president and the vice president are actually working on making pretty significant investments on um, on helping expand providers so that we can have more mental health providers. Um, we also have a crisis in the psychiatry department. There aren't enough psychiatrists available, unfortunately. And so um, that does require a lot of resources because these, these people have to go to medical school and then get their, their degree in psychiatry. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I worked on when I was in Congress and one of the things that I wanted to do is really look at ways that we can support survivors of gun violence, the families that are left behind. And so I had different roundtables and what we came up with was a national hotline, not like the suicide hotline, but actually a hotline that provided mental health services for people that had just experienced a, tra a traumatic event, whether it was a mass shooting um, or just a community violence uh, uh, incident, but that they could actually immediately get in touch with a mental health professional until they are able to find support. Some people expressed to me that they were in such deep trauma after the Parkland shooting or some of the shootings that we've seen in this country, whether in a church or in a supermarket, that people don't leave their homes. They are petrified to leave their homes. They don't want to leave their rooms. They don't want to pick up the phone um, and make an appointment to go outside of their home to see someone that can provide them that support. So there are things that we can do that we should talk to um, members, other members of Congress, so that they can put together some sort of piece of legislation to provide that support nationally. Because I'm afraid if we don't deal with that, 
the repercussions and the long-term effects are going to be not only um, really traumatic for our society and for the kids that are growing up in this generation living through these shootings, but it's also extremely costly in the long run. So uh, there are different things that we can do. And uh, I'm glad that you're thinking about that. Please stay engaged, uh, following different bills with members of Congress, stay engaged, follow me. Um, I will make sure to bring more attention to this issue. Well, uh, Amanda, again, thank you for your question. And Congresswoman Carson Powell, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, I know that you've been uh, very busy with Giffords and traveling. And you've, of course, got um, the FTAA coming up in Los Angeles, right? Isn't that in about 10 days? That's right. That's right. But uh, Scott and Grant, thank you for doing this. Um, these conversations are important and we need to support each other through these times. So I really appreciate being on your show. And uh, before we go, where can everybody follow you on Twitter? My handle is at Debbie4FL, Debbie, F-O-R-F-L, Debbie for Florida. And of course, uh, everybody can follow Dr. Sakran. Uh, his his username is at Joseph, S-A-K-R-A. And uh, on Twitter and, um, you know, it's been a really emotional show. I want to thank everybody who called in and participated. Of course, uh, Corinne from from Mom's Demand, Texas. Um, You know, we're going to post this one pretty soon and post some of the video clips from this one as well. But this show would not be what it is without you guys and without your support. So I want to thank everybody in the audience for joining us tonight. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate you. Yeah, Stay strong we, and keep on going. Like, thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's tough, but uh, you, you know, with everybody together, it's really, it's a lot better. It's really group therapy of sorts. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be back next Wednesday night around this time. So you can start setting your calendar. Of course, we appreciate if you'd subscribe to the pod then you get notified when we schedule the next podcast and you know we really appreciate your support Uh, if you share the link absolutely uh tag us let us know we'll share your stuff on twitter um it's a two-way conversation and you know again it would be pretty boring without you on the other side calling in you're listening to the report card